Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Hey, if you have a Bible, open up with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And uh, this is a part two message. Uh, we're continuing from last week. And uh, we started and we got through verse 3 last week. We're going to, uh, Lord willing, finish through verse 11 this morning in a, in a very, very heavy topic on the day of the Lord. Now, um, you probably also noticed that we didn't have, we had some slides this morning, but we have zero slides as it relates to my sermon, or to the sermon notes. So, take notes. Write these uh, references down as you go through because you're going to want to reference them later as you study, you know, and, and kind of develop your own eschatological, uh, you know, mind frame as it relates to the study of end times. You want to have references that you can look back on. And uh, th this is a topic that, again, many, many people are afraid to tackle, afraid to jump into. Uh, there's just too much uh, information or maybe too, too, too little of information, some people think. But I'll tell you, there's exactly the right information that God wanted us to have. And so we also have a, an incredible teacher uh, not me, I mean inside of us, you know, the Holy Spirit, who uh, is an incredible teacher and will help us develop the correct theology as it relates to the end times. Now, let me just say this, that I don't care where you land in terms of the rapture. I, I really don't care. I mean, I, I teach a pre-tribulation rapture because that's the way I see it in Scripture. It's not something that we should argue about or something we should divide over. Um, listen, uh, on the way up, I'll tell you, you're wrong. You know, I just won't do it now. So when that happens, you know, but, but seriously, you know, it's not something that we should divide over. You should have a position. You should study the Bible to show yourself approved. That's what the Word of God says. So you should study the Bible and you should have a position on these important, very important things such as the study of end times. You should know something about it. In fact, what, what Paul says about this church in Thessalonica is that they know so much about it that he doesn't even really need to write to them about it. They, they have some questions, but it's not because they don't have any understanding of it. It's primarily because they're trying to understand exactly where they're sitting and what's happened. They're, they were expecting Jesus to come back in their lifetime. Like they were expecting to see Jesus come, uh, you know, within the, the time frame of the, the establishment of this church. I mean, it's only been three or so weeks. Paul was there, and then he left, and, and he left them with a great foundation. And they were a thriving church, but they had some questions, and so they weren't afraid to ask those questions. Paul is responding to uh, their question as it relates to the times and seasons in which they live. And, and so we'll find out here that he, he says they don't really need anybody to write to them about that per se, but he's going to answer some questions that they have about it. So stand with me, and we're going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, where Paul writes, after coming right out of the chapter that, it, you know, the, the verses that explain uh, the rapture of the church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 there, then Paul moves right into this, this text here where he says, now... Concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day to surprise you like a thief, you are, all, you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up 
just as you were doing. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for just the description of, of the, the times and seasons and all that, that is contained in this text this morning. Lord, will you open our hearts to your Holy Spirit this morning? Will you help us to hear directly from you? Will you speak directly into our lives, Lord, and, and do heart surgery on us this morning, God? Take away any fear. Fill this place with faith this morning, Lord. May salvation come to those who don't know you, and for those that do, may we be encouraged and built up as is said in this text. We leave ourselves to you this morning, God. Come and help us rightly divide the word now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. The text that we have before us beckons a serious question. If you were here with us last week, you know what that serious question is, but it's also the title of my message. And the question is this, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for what? For the day of the Lord. Are you ready? It's a personal question. The only one that can answer this question for you is you. No one else can answer that question because no one else is walking out uh, you know, th this, this relationship between you and God, or whatever you might call it. Uh, you know, what we know is that only you can answer that question. Your parents can't answer that question for you. You know, your spouse can't answer that question for you. Only you can answer that question. And thankfully, God has sent us a helper in the name of the Holy Spirit to help us understand really where we sit. He wants to explain to us exactly where we are because God desires that no man would perish, but all would come to repentance. He desires for people to be saved. That's why he sent his son. And so this morning, as we go through this text, I want you to be asking yourself, am I ready? Am I ready? You know, and, and don't deceive yourself. Ask God, God, am I ready? I, I ended last week with this statement. Do you know Jesus? Many people say yes, but the more important question is, does Jesus know you? Does Jesus know you? We, we find in Matthew chapter 25, when the Lord separates the sheep who are his real believers from the goats, who are people who believe that they were believers but were not, and he said, many, many will come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I, and you fill in the blank, do this or that or whatever it is? And the Lord's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. The most important question we have to ask ourselves is, does Jesus know us? Does Jesus know us? That's a lot of serious questions this morning. But listen, we're living in a serious time. And it's time to pull back, you know, the, the scales from our eyes and help us to see really where we sit. Paul's talking about the day of the Lord. Now, if you were with us last week, you know that that is a phrase that isn't specifically talking about a particular day, per se, but it's really describing a, a time period that has a cascade of events that will occur during that time period. It, it, it's a day when the wrath of God will be poured out upon this world like never seen before. For seven years, God will unleash his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world. It's known as the tribulation period or the time of Jacob's trouble. However, the day of the Lord encompasses more than just the judgment of God. It also includes, listen, the deliverance of the remnant of Israel and the establishment of the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. And so when we talk about the day of the Lord, yes, we're talking about judgment and wrath that, that will be rained down, but we're also talking about restoration, reconciliation of the nation of Israel to God. And finally, what we will see in that reconciliation is a thousand-year period where Jesus will rule and reign on this earth, physically, literally, for 1,000 years while the enemy is bound in the bottomless pit for 1,000 years. And we'll find 
that at the end of that thousand years, the enemy is released and the world is deceived by him once again. And many, many people who are living in that time frame will actually be swayed away from Jesus, having seen him face to face. So don't be so sure that if Jesus were here right now, if he were to materialize before your eyes, that you would follow him. Because the Bible tells us that there will people that will live with Jesus for that long period of time. Not that they'll live the whole time, but people will die during that time and all. But, but those people will be deceived by the enemy. I had a question last week. Well, who, who's going to enter the millennial kingdom? And, and, you know, we don't have all the answers. But I believe that who that is speaking of when, it, when, the, when the millennial kingdom comes is those who believed in Jesus during the tribulation period who survived that time frame. There's at least 144,000 Jews that are sealed that will uh, survive the tribulation period. 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. It is not talking about Jehovah Witnesses, contrary to popular belief. It is talking about the nation of Israel and God restoring the nation of Israel. And so, at the very least, those people will enter in to the millennial kingdom. They're will be people who believe in Jesus, who survive the tribulation period, and they will populate the earth for a thousand years, and it will be those people, the offspring, perhaps, of those who went through the, uh, the tribulation time that will be swayed by the devil. You will not be swayed by the devil in the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ. You will be ruling and reigning with Jesus. Totally separate situation. So, so, so take the fear away of you worrying about uh, you being one that can be swayed. You will not be swayed because you will be transformed. You will be changed. You will have your heavenly body. You will be perfect. It's interesting that John writes during that period of time about the problem of those people in that millennial kingdom that are swayed. It's the same problem of those people that are living today. It's the same problem that it will be with those who live during the tribulation period. It's called hardness of heart. Hardness of heart. That's why the Bible reminds us to keep our hearts with all diligence. Because for out of it spring the issues of life. We have to keep our hearts centered on Jesus Christ. And there are so many distractions. If we don't, perhaps we'd be one of these guys who... In Revelation chapter 6, after the sixth seal has come down, judgment's coming down during the tribulation period, and here's what it says. Then the kings of the earth, the great ones and the generals, and the rich and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Listen, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, who can stand it? It's amazing to me that the, the, the level of the hardness of heart that can happen to a person that they know it's God. They know it's God raining down judgment on earth and they would rather die than bow their knee to Jesus Christ. You know, this time frame that we're talking about, specifically the, the tribulation period, believe it or not, is God's grace to man. It really is God's grace to man. There is no real payment for sin during that time. It's God releasing his wrath upon the world, not for payment. But it's a sign to people that the end is here. And it's God's grace giving you one last chance. Will you come to know me? Listen, people will be dying in, in, in the, in the, just by the groves. A third of the earth in the first seal is, is released. I mean, it's incredible how many people die right away. And yet, because of the hardness of heart, even today, many will reject Jesus. He doesn't have to reveal himself any more to you than he already has. You know enough right now to make that decision. And, and listen, you're going to see here in a moment that you are consciously making that decision. It's not ignorant in the sense that I had no idea. No one will stand before the Lord saying, I had no idea. No, you have an idea. The question is that ideology may not match yours. And so you harden your heart against the, the message of God, which is grace and truth, and you reject the Lord. It's clear to me as it relates to Scripture, as I told you earlier, that 
The, the day of the Lord is ushered in by the rapture of the church, which then ushers in this cascade of events that will happen, collectively called the day of the Lord. And so the question remains, are you ready? That's what we have to ask ourselves this morning. And if you're not, you'll have an opportunity later to come to know the Lord this morning. And you can make that conscious decision. As I stated last week, this topic is so big that I'll do my best. <laughs> I promise I'll do my best not to get off on rabbit trails. But it's hard because this is such an exciting thing to teach about. But we'll do our best to stay in the text. Last week, my, I gave you my outline for these 11 verses. Really, there's a lot that we don't know, but there's, many, there's two things in particular that we can know uh, relating to what Paul says to these believers in Thessalonica. First, we can know the times and the seasons of the day of the Lord. We can know the times and the seasons. Secondly, we can know how the day of the Lord affects believers versus non-believers, and that's really what we're going to look at today. I'm going to give you a high-level overview of last week so that we can move, keep it in context and move into verses 4 through 11. But if you missed it, you should go back and listen to it. Um, so uh, with that said, look with me at, at verse 1 there where Paul tells these, he says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Paul is telling this church that they really don't need him to expound on the times and the seasons relating to the day of the Lord. Don't you wish he would have? Don't you wish they wouldn't have known very much so that it could have been expounded on a little bit more? Don't worry. It's in the rest of the Bible. You don't have to worry about you missing something. What this tells me here is that these people were serious about the Lord, that they took what Paul said as the word from not Paul, as he stated in many other places, but actually as the word of the Lord. He didn't, they didn't take this stuff as the word of man, just like you and I don't take the Bible as the word of man or the words of man. We take it as the word of God. It is the word of God. And in that time frame when Paul was speaking, he was literally speaking the word of God. He, he didn't have this letter at that time. He spoke the word of God to these folks and they had a great understanding. And then he penned a letter to them. And you know what? It's not for them. It's for you. It's not because they don't know the times and the seasons in which they're living. It's because we need to be reminded of the times and the seasons in which we live. The Holy Spirit was thinking about you when he wrote 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. He's, he's helping us to understand these things. You know, there is, I said last week, there is a... Not really a generation of people that have ever lived on the face of the earth that should have a better grasp of the times and seasons in which we're living than this, this group of people here today in this world that we live in today. Why? Because basically what's happened is we have, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, of course. That's the, the teacher. We have the completed Word of God. But we also have something very, very key relating to the end times that has not happened prior to May 14, 1948. And that is the fact when Israel became a nation. If part of the tribulation period or the primary focus of the tribulation period is the restoration of Israel, it would have had to become a nation before any of this could have happened. You see that it actually did become a nation. They were a people without a home for nearly 2,000 years. That doesn't happen. Those kinds of, uh, you know, People groups become extinct. They become absorbed into other nations. But God has kept his hand on Israel the entire time. If that doesn't blow your mind, uh, I don't know what will. God has preserved the nation of Israel for a purpose. And it is for the purpose of reconciliation. It is for the purpose to bring Israel is, uh, you know, his chosen nation that he would show himself strong through. And none of this can move forward until the nation of Israel was established. There can be no peace treaty with a nation that does not exist. So the prophecy of Daniel and, and the 70-week prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 couldn't come to be until, at least until May 14, 1948, when, nation, when Israel became a nation. 
you see what I'm saying is that really the, the, we are set up, we are primed currently right now for, for all of these things to happen. There's never been a generation that's lived that, has, that, that really nothing, nothing else needed to happen in order for this to, to occur. This is you. Are you ready? That's the question. He, he, he's given us what we need to understand these things. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. You know, I believe that as I read my Bible today that we're, we're living in a state, which you've probably heard this term before, a postmodern Christian world. A postmodern Christian world. Really, what that means is that we're living in a 2 Timothy chapter 3 world. They're exactly the same. What does postmodern mean? Well, it depends on who you're asking. But when I use the word postmodern Christianity, I'm talking about a culture of fake Christianity that values experience over reason, subjectivity over objectivity, and finally spirituality over true relationship. What happens when you, you, uh, you, know, you affirm or you believe, uh, I lost my place here, when you value experience over reason? You know what happens? It makes truth relative. That's what happens. There is no absolute truth in that, in that scenario because you're valuing experience over reason. And, and, and so you can't correctly interpret the scriptures at that point. That is the sort of thinking that we see in our our culture today on subjects such as abortion and homosexuality to the point that to speak against those things is quickly becoming a hate crime, very quickly becoming a hate crime. There's a serious attack on God's word today. Secondly, a, it's a false Christianity that values subjectivity over objectivity, meaning it's a culture that walks by feelings and not facts. It's more about what I think about the, the, the subject that we're talking about more than really what God says about it. Again, what kind of an environment do you produce when you're doing that? What kind of a culture? And then finally, it's a culture that values spirituality over true relationship with God. Again, that is a type of culture that has a form of godliness, meaning we're religious, we we go through the motions. It doesn't matter what road you're on, you know, you'll get there somehow. Not the case. That's not what the Bible says. It's about true relationship with the Father through His Son. It is the only way. There is no other way. We're not called to be a spiritual people. We're called to be a relational people through one mediator, and His name is Jesus. This is exactly what 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says. If you can flip over to there real quickly, let's read what it says. Paul writing says, this is what the last days are going to look like. He said, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Anybody experiencing times of difficulty? Anybody experiencing like extraordinary amounts of difficulty in your life? Like, I, I know I am. It's, it's been more than... Uh, than, than the norm for me. He, he's speaking to true believers here. He's talking to the, his young protege, Timothy, and he's saying, dude, it's going to get hard in the last days. It's going to be difficult. Why? He goes on to say why. For people will be lovers of themselves, will be lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpe unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the experience of godliness but denying its power. He tells Timothy, avoid such people. Avoid such people. In the last days, we're going to see these things. And if you don't look around and see them, you're blind. If you don't look around and see, I mean, dude, just go in public. And watch people, watch children with their parents. Tell me if you don't see that there's an extraordinary amount of just complete disobedience to parents. Respect. The entire, uh, you know, world as it relates to authority has been swept away. Who is ruling this world, really? The enemy. And that's why there's disorder and chaos everywhere. But, but don't, don't fear. The Lord is in control. 
and he said it's going to happen. So here's the thing. When you look around and you see these kinds of things, don't be caught off guard. He told you it would happen. Manage your house well. You know, teach your children the Lord. You know, continue to share with people who are hopeless. I tell you, there's, there's not a, 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 a parent in the world that's not looking for any kind of string of hope in a situation when their children are out of control. When their children are out of control and their, their children are experiencing, you know, all of these kinds of negative thoughts and want to kill themselves and all of these kinds of things that every parent that I've ever encountered, me myself as a parent, is grasping for anything that will help them. And we know there's one person that can. We know that there's one person that can help in that situation. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. These are the times and the seasons in which we're living. He called them the last days. We need to just look around. Jesus spoke about what it was going to be like in Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14. I'm not going to read it. Read it later. Write it down. But, um, you know, he talked about there being uh, their false Christs and wars and rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, and persecutions. Did you, did you guys see, like, uh, there, there's, like, this resurgent of, like, the blue blonic plague and, uh, like, all these crazy, like, you know, pestilences that are happening in our world today? I mean, that stuff's happening. It's happening right now. I mean, these things are happening. There are people throughout the, the again, w- what are the last days? Let me define that real quick. The last days started at the ascension of Christ. And so for 2,000 years, we've been seeing these various different things that Jesus spoke about, and he said, listen, these are just birth pains. These are just birth pains. There's going to be a heavy persecution on the church. Heavy persecution on the church in these last days. He told them, told his disciples it was going to happen. But listen, true and genuine Christians will never be caught off guard relating to this because it's in the Word. And if we read our Bibles, then we know no matter what, God wins. And so we don't lose hope in these situations. We don't grow weary in in doing good while we see the world falling apart. We continue to press on towards the prize, which is Jesus Christ. We press on. Paul tells these guys, listen, you're you're not going to be caught off guard as it relates to the day of the Lord because you you know the times and seasons. You already know this. So you're not going to be caught off guard. It's not going to be like, oh, man, it's happening. They they, kind of thought it was already happening. They thought they were in the day of the Lord. And in fact, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says to them, listen, I don't care if you get a letter that says it's from me that says that you're in the last days. Don't listen to this garbage. Look at the signs of the times. <laughs> Pastor Chuck started Calvary Chapel. He, well, started Calvary Chapel. The Lord started Calvary Chapel through this man. But, but he used to always say, read your newspaper with your Bible open. You can, you can do that. And, it'll, and, and you can be aware of the times and seasons in which we're living. You're not going to have to be caught off guard. We can know the signs of the times. Listen, there is a parable that Jesus told that relates to you and I about us being ready for that moment. It's called the parable of the ten uh, virgins. You know that parable where it's relating to five of these virgins that are, are ready and they have their lamps trimmed and they got oil in their lamps and, and they're ready for the groom the bridegroom to come and all of this kind of stuff, but there's five that weren't ready? Why? Why weren't they ready? Because they didn't have any oil. They didn't have any oil. That oil is, is you know, representative or symbolic in the Bible of the Holy Spirit. What happens is five of them had the oil and five of them didn't. Therefore, the five that had the oil were ready and the five that didn't were not. The Bible tells us clearly that if the Holy Spirit is not inside of you, then you are not in relationship with God. You're sealed with the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. He is your guarantee that you are belong to Christ and that He's coming for you. But if you don't have the oil, you're not ready. You know what's interesting about that parable? Is that it, 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 it translates into what a traditional Jewish wedding would look like And it's symbolic of what it means for God's church and the coming of Christ. What do I mean? So back in this culture when they would would have a wedding, a traditional wedding, the the groom 
would go to his father's house and he'd prepare a place for his bride. Sound familiar? And he would, he would be there and he would prepare a place. He would not celebrate as in taking any of the wine. He would wait for that celebration until his bride was with him. Then at an unknown hour, the, the bridegroom would come to the place and grab his bride and she was to be ready. Now, you know, there's probably variances in the way that they did this. They, she probably knew the day. I mean, you guys, ladies, you would probably kill somebody if you didn't know, like, when your, bro, when your groom was showing up, right? I mean, it's like, ah, you know, like you're waiting, and, and he shows up, and you're not ready. That would suck. But, but here's the thing. She knew the day, but she had no idea the hour. How, and, and you know what the announcement was that he was coming? This this procession of praise, of worship, of, of dancing and, and, and instruments playing and all this stuff. It was a big deal. Like they were, it was making a lot, a lot like when Jesus comes back. Everybody's going to know it. Everybody that was invited to that wedding knew when they heard that, that it was ready. The, the wedding was happening. And guess what? Then he would come and take his bride to himself. Now here's the thing. They were already legally married they already had the contract play in place. This was a celebration, a consummation of the marriage, and they would go back for a period of about seven days, and they would celebrate, and they would, they would you know, they would do what they do in, when you're married and all that kind of stuff, and, and they would consummate the marriage. It parallels perfectly the rapture of the church the seven-year tribulation period where we will be celebrating with our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, in the marriage supper of the Lamb for a period of seven years. And then Jesus will come back. He's gone to prepare a place for you. And he, if he's gone to prepare a place for you, he said, I will come back and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. Are you ready? Do you have oil in your lamp? Paul says you don't have to be caught off guard if you do. You'll, you won't be caught off guard. You, you, you'll be living your life in such a way that you're ready for Jesus to come now. You're ready for the rapture of the church. You're ready for Jesus to come and receive you to himself. Paul says not everybody will be like that. Many will be saying peace and security. In other words, they'll be living their lives like they're going to be here for the next thousand years. And it will come on them sudden destruction. Sudden destruction. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a shock to the world when this happens. And the word destruction, I don't think we even have a proper understanding of what that would look like in this period of time. The Bible says that if God were not to shorten the days, no one would survive. It's that kind of destruction, and God is trying to rescue people from having to experience the wrath of God. He does not want to pour out His wrath upon people. He wants to pour out grace, and that is why He's extending His hand over and over and over again. Do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. If that's you, do not harden your heart. You can listen to last week's message more specifically about this, and we talk about Luke chapter 17, where Jesus talks about the, 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 it will be just like the days of Noah and just like the days of Lot, where people were giving themselves into marriage, and they were eating and drinking and being merry, and all of a sudden, and they, they saw these two dudes telling them that destruction was coming. They did not heed the warning. They did not heed the warning. And so the people were caught off guard. The first drop of rain that hit the forehead of somebody, occurred like, whoa, maybe he was serious. You know, when, when, when Lot, when, when the, 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 the whatever, however God burned down Sodom and Gomorrah, the first asteroid that struck that place or whatever it was, the first ball of fire that came down, people thought, oh, maybe he was serious. And do you know that will be exactly what will happen as it relates to God removing his church and the people here being left here will go, oh, maybe 
they were serious about the coming of the Lord. You hear it over and over and over again. Oh, they've been saying that for years. I know, and we're one day closer today. We're one day closer. We should be living in, in, with the imminent expectation of Christ coming today, right now. They were doing that 2,000 years ago. How much more should we be doing that now? Notice he ends this with some specific, uh, you know, te- terminology that, that makes a distinction. He says they. They will not escape it. They will not escape it. He, he's, cur- he, he, he's making a shift. He's making a distinction between believers and unbelievers here. And now we're going to see that as it follows through with the text that we'll get into now, verses 4 through 11, he's talking about the differences between believers and unbelievers, what they look like, and all of these kinds of things. But here's the shift in verse 3, at the end of verse 3, where he says, they will not escape it. Escape what? The day of the Lord. That's what he's speaking about. However, we'll find in verse 9 where he says, you, us, we will not we have not been destined to wrath we've been delivered from the wrath of god the difference between how the, the the day of the lord will affect believers and unbelievers unfolds here for us in verses 4 through 11 paul first says but you are not in darkness brothers for that day to surprise you like a thief for you are all children of the light children of day we are not of the night or of the darkness Listen to what Paul says, you now. He said they, now he says you, speaking of believers, you're not in darkness like unbelievers for this day to surprise you like a thief. Why? Because we have light. What does light do? Light illuminates. It reveals. We have light. We also have revelation. We've been given the Holy Spirit to understand the word of God. We're not in the dark as it relates to things to come. We can know. Now, this must have been an incredible comfort to these believers in Thessalonica because they thought they missed the rapture and they were living presently in the day of the Lord. They were also incredibly worried about those who had died and passed away. And Paul addresses that up in uh, chapter 4, verse 13, where he says, listen, you don't have to mourn as people who have no hope. Those who have fallen asleep, will, they, will, they will come back with Jesus at the rapture of the church and they will be resurrected first and then those who are alive will be caught up together with them in the the air to be with them forever with the Lord. And so he's making a distinction here. He's saying, listen, your people, you don't have to worry about these things. You don't have to be caught off guard about the times and the seasons like unbelievers. Why? Because they're living in the dark. They're the ones that will be caught off guard. This this is Paul contrasting, listen, the nature of believers and unbelievers. The nature of a believer is light. The nature of unbelievers is darkness. You know because you've been an unbeliever. You were living in darkness at one point in your life. Maybe you're living in darkness today. Here's the reality is that the nature of an unbeliever transforms and changes when we give our heart to Jesus Christ. The light that came down for us comes inside of us. And now he said, I'm the light of the world, and now you become the light for me. So we we become children of light, children of the day, as he says here. This is the difference between believers, and it's a night and day difference, literally. Unbelievers are in darkness by nature, morally and intellectually. However, understand this, that that is a conscious decision. Oh, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Listen to what God says here. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Listen, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in their lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. There is a conscious decision that is made in the heart of an unbeliever. There is a conscious decision that says, I will not bow my knee to Jesus. I will not bow my knee to the God who created all of this. I will refuse to believe in him. It's a conscious decision. Notice, it's, it's them doing all of these things. God is reaching out to man, and man is saying, no, 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 no. It's them. Therefore, I tell you this. If anyone, you know, or you yourself, if you choose to go to hell, you can. If you, you, you choose to do that, it's your choice. It's your choice. You are 100% responsible for that decision. But let me also say this. If you go to heaven, if, if, if you have already received Christ and you go to heaven, the only person that gets the glory is God. The only person that gets the glory is God. Why? Because he is the redeemer, he is the reconciler, and he has done all the work. All we have done is respond to him. But, 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 but don't ever think for a moment that because somebody's an unbeliever, they just don't know, or if God would just show them more, they're consciously making a decision to follow darkness. They want to live in darkness. They are choosing darkness over light. It's a choice God has given us. Yes, we are, we are born under the fallen nature of Adam, and so that we're prone to sin for sure. But don't ever give an excuse to the point where you say, well, I just, I was, why would God let me be in this condition? He's given you a choice. And you're choosing your path. You're choosing your path. He must draw us if we get into right relationship with him. Jesus said that himself, John 6, 44. Jesus said to himself, he said himself regarding you and I as, as, as the light. He said, you know, that our lives are going to look different. He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John chapter 8, verse 12. The nature has changed. You're no longer walking in darkness. You're walking in light. What does that mean? That means you're not going to do that perfectly. I'll tell you that. But what it does mean is that there'll be a change in your life. The Bible tells us that if anybody is in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old has passed away. Behold, everything's become new. He's a new person. You're a new person if you came to Christ. There's a distinction in your life. You went from darkness to light. How could nobody know that? How could you not see that in your life? Like, I'm not sure if I'm a believer. Well, let me tell you, there's a distinction. You were in darkness. Now you're in light. It would seem like we would know these things. We do know. We can know. God's not hiding our salvation from us. The reality is this. You bow your knee to the Lord. That's all you need to do. You give your life to Christ. He will do the rest. He changes your life. You know, we don't have to, as, as I think somebody said one time, you know, we're not, we, don't, we're, we don't have to be clean fish to come in the church. We come to church and God cleans the fish. That's how, we, that's how it works. You don't have to do it. He does it. You and I as his church are called uh, the light of the world, called to shine in darkness to those trapped, trapped. So those trapped have an opportunity to see the way of escape. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 20. Now this I say. And testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are dark in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them. Do listen to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. That's not the way you do it. I don't care what everybody else is doing. That's not the way you do it. You do it different. You don't follow darkness. You follow light. And when, when the world's going headbound into darkness, you better turn the corner and go the other way because that's not your calling. Your calling's over here. That's what you're called to. You're called to follow Jesus. And you know what? I'll tell you what. It's a lonely path sometimes. 
Guess who walked the Via del Rosa by himself with a cross upon his, his shoulder? Jesus did that. Listen, nobody came to his rescue. He hung on the cross. And listen, you may have to walk that path, but he will be with you always. But listen, it's a lonely path, but it's worth it. Don't follow the world. The world's diving headlong into darkness. You go the opposite way. The Bible tells us one story. It's about redemption. And there's one Savior, and his name is Jesus. And all have been given an opportunity to know and follow him. That is the truth. You are called as Christians. You know, I, I don't even like to use that term anymore, to be honest with you. Christian. Because it means nothing. It's supposed to mean Christ follower. I'd rather say Christ follower. There's a distinction in that. In our culture, there is no distinction in Christian. So those who are Christ followers ought to be living completely different than the world. Listen, if, if you walk into a room, and, and I'm not saying you purposely stand out, because some of us are super good at that, but I'm talking like you walk into a room and you're not laughing about the things other people are laughing about, but you're able to, you're able to work with people and, and live in that environment, but you're not of that environment. That is what God has called you to. Don't you become like everybody else. Listen, they need you to shine. They need you to do good works so that they can glorify your Father in heaven. They need you to stand out. So stand for Christ, man, in a culture that even churches are bowing down to the enemy. And hanging signs on their doors that are totally contrary to the scriptures. Listen, even the church is following the world. Be different. It's, you're you're going to be different for sure. You're going to be a remnant. But, but, make, but you'll be following the right path. He goes on here and he says, So let us not sleep as others do, but let us, let us keep awake and be sober for... Those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Paul says, uh, let's make an inseparable link between the nature and the behavior of the believer here versus the unbeliever. Believers are awake. Unbelievers are asleep. Uh, believers are sober. Unbelievers are drunk. That's what he's saying. He's saying, look, there's a clear distinction. I wonder if that guy's asleep. He either is or he isn't, Right? I mean, there's not, I don't know if he is or not. Maybe he's dead. Who knows? But, uh, you know, is that guy drunk or not? You know, I mean, there, you can tell by the actions of the person, right? If they're not moving, their eyes are shut. You see, you hear the, you know, that sound. That was probably gross because I'm a little stuffed up. But um, uh, <laughs> if you hear that, you probably know they're sleeping, right? You see somebody stumbling around slurring their words, you probably know they're drunk. There's not really a question. He tells us that, that there's a link between our nature and our behavior. Behavior matters. It's not the means of salvation, but it definitely is the sign of salvation. It's not the means. It's not how you get saved. Clean yourself up. But the fact that you're saved, you will walk in a different way and people will notice that. Listen to how Paul finishes Ephesians chapter 4 in verses 20, 21 through 24. He just ended by saying, um, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. Now he says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through dece uh, deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So to be asleep then is to live as an unbeliever. Somebody who is living in that deceitful, corrupt, dark life. Paul says, man, be awake. Be awake. Didn't Jesus tell his disciples, hey, wake up and pray with me. Stay alert. Don't fall asleep. Why? Because the enemy's coming. He's gonna, you're going to open yourself up to temptation when you start to sleep. And listen, it's easy to do. 
You can come to church every week. You can hear this message. You can read the Bible every day. You know, you can pray. You can do all the, all the, the Christian things to do. And listen, it can make no difference in your life. Why? Because you're asleep. Maybe you're not even saved. Maybe you're, you've fallen asleep and you're not listening to the Spirit anymore. It's just information. We need more than information. We need inspiration. We need the Holy Spirit to speak into our lives personally, and we need to take what's being said and live it out in our lives. To be, to be asleep is to, to, to just hear the Word and do nothing with it. That's what he's saying, man. Wake up. Wake up. Don't be drunk. We, listen, we have a serious, a serious calling on our lives in these last days. And it is to preach the gospel and to lead people to Christ. And, and listen, you can't, you can't make a disciple unless you are a disciple. You know what I'm saying? You can't lead somebody else to somewhere you yourself have not gone. What am I saying? You need to continue to grow. Like our, our whole emphasis this year and moving on into next year is grow, go, give. Grow, go, give. It is impossible for you to live the Christian life correctly if you're not growing, if you're not growing in the Lord. And, and growing takes more than coming here one hour a week and listening to a message. It's way more than that. I, I tell you this, you know, I, I can illustrate it by physical body. You know, if you go to the gym one hour a week and, and you think that that's going to be enough to get you in shape, you're crazy. You're crazy. You've got you to gotta be, not only do you have to get in the gym, but then you've got to eat right. You've got you to gotta do a lot of other things in order to grow, right? Same thing spiritually, man. If this is all you're getting, <laughs> this is not enough, not even close. You are malnutritioned if this is all you're getting. Listen, this should be the inspiration for you for the rest of the week to be like, man, I need to dive into God's Word. I need more of that. Um, and I can tell you what, it has less to do with the way that the information is presented as it does the way it's received. Here's what I'm saying is that, yeah, people, sometimes there can be a great speaker and he can keep your attention, all that kind of stuff, and you can still walk out unchanged. It, it, it's all about the reception. At the same token, you know, you can have somebody who, who does a horrible job presenting the truth, but the Bible never returns void. And so if you're receiving it, man, you're going to grow through it. My point is, is that, uh, you know, some of you don't feel equipped to disciple, to, to be discipled or disciple yourself. And so you're like, you want somebody else to spoon feed you. Listen, you got to move past the infancy stage. Like, you, you got to stop drinking milk and you got to start eating meat. You got to get in the Bible yourself. You have a teacher inside of you. You don't need to sit down with somebody eyeball to eyeball to be taught. You can do it yourself. You have a teacher inside of you. And, and, and listen, at the end of the day, that's what I did. I mean, and, and God will bring people around. It's, we should have other people in our life, by the way. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is you've got to feed yourself. You've got to get into the Word yourself. Listen, if you don't know how to read the Bible, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll help you. I'll, I'll give you inductive Bible study lessons. And it'll be really awesome because then you'll be able to read the Bible and go, oh, yeah, you know, you'll be able to feed yourself. If you have no idea how to do that, I would love for you to make an appointment with me and I will help you understand that because it will be a lesson that will never ever return void in your life we got to be in the word man we have a mission from god and many many people in the church aren't aren't prepared for the mission there's so many fat sheep that do nothing nothing they're just waiting for jesus kick back on on the bench waiting for the bus to come and jesus is saying you probably need to get going you probably should go do something with what you know oh no i'm just waiting for jesus and he's like no i want to use you now do something with what you know. I don't care how much you know. With the very little that you know, you can be effective for the Lord. He goes on here, and he says, he speaks about what kind of behavior we should be displaying in verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Listen, we need to be clothed with the armor of God, and we should never take it off. Why? Because you're going to fight the constantly, you're going to fight the flesh day and night to walk in darkness, to, be, to fall asleep, and to be lulled into drunkenness. You're going to fight that your entire life. Why? Because you have a body of death that you're walking in, this flesh, that will never go away until Jesus comes back to get you. So you better be ready every day. You've got to be clothed. You can't take off the armor of God. 
oh, I'm going to bed. I'm going to take off. No, because you know what? <laughs> Even in your sleep, the enemy can attack. You've got to be ready, man. You've got to have the armor on at all times. Listen to what he says. He's, he's talking the illustration of a, 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 a Roman soldier, right? And it's a guy that, you know, the, the most important parts of his, his get-up is the breastplate and the helmet. They protect the vital organs. He's saying, man, your breastplate in the Christian life is faith and love. And that helmet is your salvation. It protects your life. You have to continually make sure you're walking in faith and love and in hope. Isn't that the same thing Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13? All three of those things. Those are the three, uh, the three amigos of the Christian faith, man. Faith, love, and hope. Faith, love, and hope. And, the, and Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the greatest of these is love. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. That and all of this, the law is complete. Listen, we have to, to gird ourselves up. We have to protect ourselves by walking in faith. You will never, ever go where God wants you to go if you're not walking in faith, ever. It will always take faith. You will always wonder, is this the right path? If that's your question today, then you know what? God's probably prompting you to walk in faith. It's not blind faith. Like, there's no, there's no idea about it. Like, God gives us, you know, he, he lays a path before us so that we can see it, but it's going to take faith for you to walk it. It's going to take faith. He also tells us we got to walk in love, man. Anything we do outside of love is just clanging symbols. It's clanging symbols. And, of course, Christians need to be full of hope. Why? Because we have the God of hope. If you're walking around like Eeyore in the Christian faith, please don't tell people you're a Christian. I mean, seriously. I'm serving Jesus, just doing my thing, you know. It's like, dude, seriously, get excited about the Lord. I mean, man, he died for you. Like he's coming back for you, and this is all this is temporal. You, the reason why you, you're losing hope is because you got your eyes on the waves. Get your eyes on the Lord. Then you'll have hope. He goes on here and he says, For you, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you, you were doing. Because we have the helmet of salvation. Because we have that, Paul says, God, we're saved from the wrath to come. I don't think that it can get any clearer than that, than what it says here in verse 9. The Holy Spirit declares to us, God has not destined us, speaking of believers, to wrath. Again, the end of verse 3, they will not escape it, but God has not destined you to wrath. Listen to what um, Paul said in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, the reason why we're not destined to wrath, folks, is because our wrath has been satisfied on the cross. Paul said this in Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11, for while we were still weak at the time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Listen to this, since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Because of the day, because of Jesus Christ, we will never have to experience the wrath of God. He took that wrath for us. And therefore, if the tribulation period, or if the day of the Lord, if that cascade of events is primarily for God to pour out his wrath upon a Christ-rejecting world to restore Israel to its proper place, that remnant of Israel to be restored and reconciled, and then for Christ to come and take his earthly reign, it makes no sense for us to, to go through that. Why would we go through that? It's not about us. Everything that we need has been settled before the Lord at the cross. There is no weight on your shoulders anymore. Past, present, and future sins are completely obliterated in God's eyes. Vertically, as you sit before the Lord, right now, he sees you as perfect. Do you know that? Paul says, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, you were justified by faith. 
That means that we're justified. It's a, it's a judicial act. God has sent the gavel down in heaven and said, you are not guilty. You were innocent. You were blem unblemished in his eyes. Practically speaking, we're working that out on the horizontal. On a daily basis, we're seeing the imperfections of our flesh. We're seeing the sinfulness. That's why Paul, as he, as he walks through the Christian life, he gets to the end of his life and he says, man, I am the chief of all sinners. The closer we walk to Jesus, the more wicked we see ourselves for real. That's the reality. We see the darkness within us. Listen, if you're walking around, you're going, hey, I'm pretty good. You probably not spend enough time with Jesus. I'm just saying. Like, you might want to get closer to the Lord. Not, not that we can't do well, because we can. But I'm just saying, you know, be careful. Be careful. Pride puffs up. Paul tells us, man, we are not destined to wrath. And then he tells us, if that's not encouraging to you, if that doesn't build you up, I don't know what would build you up as it relates to his church. He's coming back for us. He's coming back for us. I want to end with this verse in Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, the Lord says, and behold, verse 7, and behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book, speaking about the book of Revelation. He goes on in verse 12, and he said, Behold, I'm coming soon. Bring my rep recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And in verse 17, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. In verse 20, Jesus goes on, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Are you ready? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for just reminding us, Lord, of the urgency that is before us, of preparing our hearts for your coming. You're coming soon, Lord, we know. And we ask even right now, Father, that if we have not been living our lives according to your word, if we're believers, that you would restore us this morning into the fellowship that maybe we have been lost, that's been lost as a result of sin, that you would help us, Lord, to get on mission for you, that we would not uh, grow weary in doing good, Lord. It is a wicked world out there today, but Lord, we know that you are shining your light brightly. Let us shine for you, Lord. I pray for every believer in this place today, just a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit and an urgency in our hearts, Lord, to share the gospel with people. You're coming soon, Lord, we know. So help us to be effective in these last moments and live our lives for you and you alone, Lord. Let us not get sidetracked, distracted, pursuing the things of this world. Lord, let us store up our treasures in heaven. As we live our lives for you, Father, we pray. And Lord, we want to just ask you this morning, as the word has gone forth and the reality, the faith of those who reject you, who have hardened hearts, Lord, we know your word tells us that they will ultimately be separated from you for all of eternity. And so we want to give, you want to extend your hand of salvation to those this morning that may not know you. So as we continue to pray, Lord, will you just move in this place and if that's you, will you lift your hand? We want to pray a prayer with you. As everybody continues to pray, everybody in this place wants to see the Lord work. Lift your hand up if you want a relationship with Jesus. If you're not sure you're going to go to heaven, just raise your hand. I'll, I'll lead you in a prayer. You can be reconciled to the Father. You can make that change. You can change the nature of darkness to light this morning by simply receiving Jesus Christ. It's, it's the, the ball's in your court. Is there anyone here this morning? God bless you. Is there anyone else? God bless you. You can put your hand down. I want you to raise it. Anyone else want to receive the Lord this morning? Be reconciled to the King of kings, the Lord of lords. This is an eternity being presented before you this morning. Father, we thank you for the one that did raise their hand. Lord, we thank you that salvation is coming to this place this morning. Lord, we pray that, that you would now just receive this one into your family. And if that was you, just pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I come to you, 
and I receive you as my Lord. I'm turning away from my life and I'm turning to you today in repentance. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Renew me. I believe you died and rose again from the dead for me. And I make you my Lord and my Savior. Amen. Hey, will you join me in applause? Thank you so much, Lord. You know, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner comes to repentance. And, and I, I, you know, I don't know that we really understand that. But I'm telling you, all of heaven is going crazy right now. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.